Man, I, I love that song. And um, is it okay if we just sing the chorus of that song one more time together? Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And I love that song because that is what this sermon series is all about. And I wasn't planning on this, but that is, I was having such a hard time this week trying to find um, an example of what it's like to, you know, like what it's like to be rescued. And that is a sermon series that we're going through throughout the, the entire summer. I'm just sitting there and I'm like saying, man, I haven't been rescued from anything in my life. I haven't been stranded in an island or anything like that. And then you sing a song like this and you realize how much we've been rescued from. And that is why, that is why we believe, you know, that uh, what we're going to be talking about through uh, what's left of the summer is really good for us as believers, but it's really good to teach us and to empower us to go out and to help other people be uh, reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be reached so they can also be rescued. And anyways, um, I digress. My name is Jose. Um, I am right now the worship minister here at Highland Park, and I've been here for about um, three and a half years, and it's been a blast. I've had an awesome time. Um, I've loved everybody in the, in the worship team, everybody, all of you guys. I've, I've gotten to know uh, quite a bit well, and I've loved being a part of this church. Um, and today, uh, I'm going to actually talk to you about the story of David. Usually, they give me, you know, like a little paragraph about like, okay, you're going to preach from this scripture. And so that's really easy for me. But this time, they just said, you're going to talk about David. So we're going to be covering... Uh, First and Second Samuel today, and if you uh, if you like to follow along with me, you're probably not going to be able to very well. Uh, so I'll do my best. But I think that in the story of David, there is so many times that God that God saved David from uh, from so many things, and we don't even like recognize a part of God through those things. Because let's be honest, you know, like when we think of God saving David, we probably think, okay, God saved David from Goliath, right, from the giant. He killed this giant that was like 10 feet tall. So whenever you come to your friends after killing a giant, and you come to your friends and tell them, hey, guess what? I killed a bear. I killed a lion. They're just going to be like, eh, that's not that cool anymore. Because you already killed a giant. That's like the coolest thing you will ever do in your life, or it seems like. So a lot of the things in, in David's life seem to be overshadowed by some of the bigger things that he accomplished through the power of God. Just to recap a little bit of uh, what we've been going through uh, the entire summer, uh, we've talked about how God saved the listener, how God also saved the doubter. So we talked about the story of Lydia, the story of Thomas. God saves the fatherless. I'm talking about the story of Jesus. God saves the family. God saves the hostile and how God saved somebody that was persecuting Christians like Saul and he turned him into Paul. And now we have so many books from him that so many people have come to know Jesus because of him. Uh, we talked about how God uh, saves the broken. God rescues the broken, the story of the sinful woman that came to Jesus. How God saved the mar martyr was last week. Um, I wasn't able to be here, but I'm sure that it was a great sermon. It's about the story of Stephen. 
but like I said, today we'll be talking about the story of David. Um, so let's open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel uh, 6, is where we're gonna, where we're going to begin. And, you know, everything I said about David uh, being saved by so many things, that's going to be, I'm going to have two points for you today. And the first point, the first thing that I think that we want to get out of the story of David today is that God saves us from the obstacles in our lives. Now, like, be really careful because I'm not saying that God is not going to put you through obstacles. God is not going to put you through hardships. What I'm saying is that no matter what comes at you, no matter what gets in the front of you, um, God is going to accomplish the purpose that he has for you as long as you are faithful to him. No matter what obstacle, what hardship you're going through right now, it does not matter as much as long as you're faithful to God because he can still accomplish great things to you. And I think the first, um, the first obstacle that David went through uh, was actually before he was king. And this is in 1 Samuel 16. Um, it was, uh, Saul was the king of Israel at that time. And uh, he had committed sin against the Lord uh, time and time again. And the Lord sent a man uh, named Samuel uh, to tell him that he was going to be basically dethroned. And so God comes and says, Samuel, hey, I need you to go to uh, the house of Jesse. And between all of his sons, all the kids that are there, because back then, you know, they used to have like a million kids. Um, between all the 11 sons that he has, there's a king amongst them. So Samuel goes over there and he said, uh, I'm actually going to read it. Um, it says uh, on verse 6, uh, when they came, so basically the brothers, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, so it's another brother. And he made him pass before Samuel, and he said, uh, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So then Samuel said to Jesse, are there, um, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains another one younger, but, but he's like watching the sheep, basically, and and Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for it is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from the day forward. And Samuel rose up, rose up and went to Ramah. So the first obstacle that David went through was that there was way too many people that were way better than David to do the job. You know, um, I think it's just really funny that everybody and their moms knew that he was not good enough. His brothers knew that he was not good enough. His father knew that he was not good enough. Samuel knew that he was not good enough. Even David, you know, he didn't even come to the meeting because he didn't think that he was good enough. And God said, this is the one. 
And I think that for many of you, you have been put down by so many people that you start to believe these lies that you are not good enough. It's, sometimes it's even the people that love you the most, that hurt you the most, that tell you you're not good enough. I am. It comes from your parents sometimes. It comes from your siblings. It comes from your best friends. It comes sometimes even from like uh, pastors and uh, ministers. Sometimes when we don't realize that we're hurting you, you know, but God is, does not care about what everybody thinks of you. God looks at you and he says, I don't care because I want to use you. I'll choose you. I have something planned for you. And this is exactly what, what he does. I have a picture of uh, a guy named Erwin. I didn't tell him I was going to put his face up here. Uh, but he won't know because he is actually a friend that I met in San Francisco. And he, uh, I've, I've gotten to hang out a lot with him because when I've been traveling to San Francisco... And he is my Uber driver uh, for free, so it's great. So he just drives me around everywhere, and he's told me his story. And he basically, just to summarize a little bit of his story, he's been in jail several times. He's done, you know, drugs. He's been in hundreds of street fights. He's done things that you and I sometimes, you know, like we don't think people actually do. And right now... Um, he is part of the church plant where we will be at in San Francisco. And he has reached so many people for Jesus. But, but catch this. He doesn't just go to churches or to youth groups and reaches people for Jesus Christ. He actually, this is really impressive because I, I love this about him. He walks by uh, the streets of inner city San Francisco. And he literally sits down with homeless people and hangs out, hangs out with them for hours there's actually, it's really funny because there's a, a homeless guy that asked him if he could have his uh, cable password so that he could watch DirecTV on his phone. So there's a homeless man in San Francisco that has this man's password so he can watch TV. But that's how much he loves people. He's reached hundreds, literally, of people for Jesus Christ, and nobody thought that he could do anything good for the kingdom of God ever if you saw him five to ten years ago. But this is what's really cool about Jesus, that God's power is way more visible when God is able to use people whose power is not visible. Whenever, God sees, whenever somebody sees you and you look weak, you look like you have nothing that you can offer to the kingdom of God, that is when God's power can be the greatest. And I think that's the reason why God uses sometimes a little shepherd boy to kill a giant. And let me tell you, I know that some of you are still struggling, wondering if God has something for you. If you are still breathing, God has something for you. And I say that with 100% confidence. Um, the second obstacle that he had is what we already talked about. It's uh, Goliath, the giant. It's uh, Goliath of God, the champion Philistine. He was about 10 feet tall. He had an armor that weighed 150 pounds. Uh, that was, like, really heavy. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you have to be so strong to be able to carry, like, something like that around. Every now and then, I like to pick up uh, babies from people because I love babies. And they're like, you know, what, how much does the baby weigh? <laughs> I have no experience with this. 10 pounds? 40 pounds? <laughs> 10 pounds? After a little bit, my arm is hurting. I don't know about you, but after, like, carrying a baby for, like, 10 minutes with one arm, like, my arm is hurting because I am that strong. 
Okay? <laughs> Goliath was carrying 150-pound armor. He had a 20-pound uh, 20 uh, spear on his uh, javelin. It was, this guy was strong. He was tall. He was called a champion because he had previously killed many people in battle, warriors. And here comes little David boy. He was about... This is quite crazy because, you know, like sometimes people get this because they're too young or they're too old. David was about 15 to 16 years old whenever he faced Goliath. So little weak boy, and he killed a giant. So uh, let, me get a, let me jump in here real quick. Um, so I think that was what's really interesting real quick. I'm all over the place today. But what's really interesting is that, uh, let me just recap the story of what happened with Goliath, because I know that you guys have heard this growing up, but I know that some of you maybe have not heard it. Um, basically, there's thousands of soldiers from the people of God, Israel, and they come before the Philistines, and there's uh, this guy that's really tall, and he's really strong. He's yelling things for about 40 days. He's mocking the people of Israel, and he's telling them, how he's going to defeat them, how he's like better. And basically, nobody is going to face Goliath because what it says, um, what it says in Scripture is in 1 Samuel 17, 24, it says that all the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him and they were afraid. But now notice the difference of what David did in verse 26. It says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. Do you see the response difference between David and all the thousands of men that were there? In verse 31st, I read, it says, When the words uh, that David spoke were heard, they were repeated before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said, and David said uh, to Saul, Let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against him. Here's Saul basically putting David down one more time to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep. First of all, when I read here, I'm like, dude, David, you're not helping your situation. <laughs> but hold on, he has more to say. It's okay. Um, uh, for his father. And when, he, and when there came a lion or a bear... And took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, and, which is really weird. I'm like, I don't, didn't know that bears and lions had beards, but anyways, maybe they do. It's just, anyways. Uh, so he caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies, the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. First of all, I think Saul is being a little sarcastic, more like, Okay, good luck, you know, basically. But notice, uh, notice how David knew exactly who was delivering him from the lion. He knew exactly who was delivering him from the bear. He knew exactly who was going to deliver him from, this, from Goliath. So in verse 45, um, when he faces Goliath again, he says to him, You come to me with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. 
In verse 47, he says again, The Lord saves not with sword and spear, but the battle, for the battle is the Lord's. Then in verse 49, this is what happened. He, David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So once again, God delivered David from his obstacle, the obstacle that was in front of him. Hardship, you know, for all of Israel. But then the third obstacle that, uh, that I want to point out today from David was uh, Saul. Saul was actually one of the biggest obstacles that David had. Um, after David killed Goliath, uh, people began to, you know, praise David a little bit too much. And Saul, in his sin again, he began to get really jealous of David. Even though he made him command some of his armies, he started having victories. And people started noticing that. And Saul basically tried to kill him. So the only thing that David had left to do was either try to kill Saul or run away. So David, being godly man that he was, he actually ran away. And I think, you know, this is like really important because he actually, while he was uh, in the wilderness running away from Saul, he had two opportunities to kill Saul. And he passed him by because he knew again that the person that was going to deliver him was God, ultimately. I think so many times we try to fend for ourselves, you know, when people attack us. Uh, you know, like I see it all the time. Yesterday, for example, uh, uh, Sammy was... Uh, <laughs> she's already like, uh-oh, she said my name. Um, Sammy, like, was selling some of our stuff through... Where, you know, we're trying to get rid of some stuff since we're uh, moving, and she was selling something on... Facebook Marketplace, if you don't know what that is. It's basically like Craigslist, uh, but it's on Facebook. And she was trying to sell something, and somebody offered like, I don't know, $10. Somebody else uh, offered 20 And Sammy went with the person that offered 20 even though they talked to us later. And the lady that offered 10 for this thing, I can't even remember what it was. Anyways, um, she started getting so mad at Sammy, like, you know, they don't know who they are, but she started saying, oh, you're not a trustworthy person, your personality is like this, and I'm going to report you to Facebook, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, Sammy, please, uh, can I respond? <laughs> I was like, please give me the phone. I want to answer to this person. I want to fend for ourselves. And I, actually, I was just going to have a lot of fun with it. But Sammy, um, being the godly person that she is, she's just like, I'm sorry that this happened. And I'm like, Sammy, please, can you just let me respond? Um, but anyways, like that's what we try to do. I always try to fend for myself. We get defensive. That's like our automatic mode is getting defensive whenever somebody is like pointing fingers at us. You know, like so you did this wrong. Oh, yeah, but then you did this wrong. Or, you know, like every time that somebody attacks us, our first response is not to be like David and say, God is going to deliver me, you know, so it doesn't matter. Our first response is to attack. But, you know, all these were obstacles that David had to face. But ultimately, I don't think that the fact that he was just a weak shepherd boy was the biggest obstacle. I don't think Goliath or the bear or the lion were the biggest obstacles that David had to go through. I think that actually the biggest obstacle that all of Israel, including, had to go through was their lack of faith. 
And I think that for so many of us, that is the same thing. What would have happened if one of the many thousands of people that were standing before Goliath would have said, hey, God has already given us this victory. Why are we afraid of what's standing right in front of us? So many of us get stuck in so many different things that we are kept from doing what God wants us to do with our lives. We put like, you know, like, oh, but my finances. Oh, but I am just, I'm not good at like, I haven't studied my Bible enough, so I don't know enough about God to go tell this person about Jesus Christ. Oh, but nobody likes me that much. And you start putting yourself down. And you are kept from what God has to do for you because you don't have enough faith that God is the one that has, is going to do the work, that God is the one that is going to deliver you. Um, if you haven't heard a lot about it, Sammy and I are going to go plant a church in San Francisco in September. And, you know, like even through that, we've had so many obstacles. Uh, first of all, our daughter uh, is being born a few weeks from now. <laughs> so we're going to take a newborn baby to the city, uh, move like I don't know how many miles away. See, I don't even know those things. I just know that it's like a two-day trip on a car. We're taking our daughter. Um, it's the most expensive city to live in. Uh, to me, that was like really scary because we really value uh, financial security. And my guess is that a lot of you probably did too. Is it just me? Um, that's right. Um, anyways, I think that God has already, whenever, you know, God did not provide for us before we made the decision that we were going to follow him. God provided for us and started providing for us so much after we made the decision that we were going to follow the call of God. And I think that's how God works so many times. He sends people, and he says, like with Elijah, you know, he says, go to this place, and I am going to take care of you there. And there's like people feeding him over there. Or he says, like, run away, and he's like, where am I going to go? Don't worry about it. And he sends ravens to him to feed him because God doesn't tell you exactly how he's going to provide for you, when he's going to provide for you. All you have to know is that, you know, for us especially, is that if it is God's will, he's going to pay the bill. That is a, a big saying for us right now. Um, we've received uh, just money from people we don't even know saying, like, we believe in what you're going to do over there, um, and we want to support you. So don't let anything like that, don't let obstacles keep you from what God has in store for you. And trust me, he's not going to tell you before or ahead of time. As a matter of fact, um, you know, this, this thing that I'm saying, you know, God works whenever there's a little bit of faith. God's power is unleashed whenever we have a little bit of faith. That is the only way that Goliath was going to be beat if somebody's had a little bit of faith and stepped up. Um, I think that, you know, whenever... I'm going to actually give you a little bit of homework. Um, go and read through a gospel, any gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and notice all the times that Jesus uh, performed a miracle. And then... Try to watch out who, was, who it was that had a little bit of faith. Because if, if you haven't thought about this before, there was always a little bit of faith involved whenever Jesus performed a miracle. It either, either was like a little boy bringing fish and loaves 
to feed thousands of people? Do you not think that that required a little bit of faith? I'm going to give my only lunch to feed 5,000 people? Come on, Jesus. You know, it required four people bringing their friend and climbing through the roof and bringing him down because they truly believed that Jesus could heal him. Do you think Jesus would have like just said, oh, there's a man that needs help, like somewhere over there, he doesn't know anything of me? There was always a little bit of act of faith. Or you might even read the word like, and then he believed and he healed him. But God doesn't work in our lives. God doesn't, does, God doesn't do miracles if there's not a little bit of faith in our part. So what is it that you need to have faith for? I know that so many times we, you know, put God in a box and we say, well, God surely can't save this one person. You know, like my family member, like I just stopped trying a long time ago. I just stopped praying for them a long time ago because I've tried so hard. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to share uh, things like this in the church in America just because I know that a lot of people won't believe me, but I'm going to share it anyways. Um, well, growing up, um, I've seen people literally... Uh, being healed. Is that okay to say? I know. What are they going to do? Fire me? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> um, I remember, uh, I'm just going to tell you this story, um, but I've seen uh, a man that came to the church where I was at, and he had one leg uh, that was way shorter than the other one, and he was having all sorts of back problems. Uh, he was having pains. He uh, couldn't work very well. Uh, he, like his hours were getting cut. Like people didn't want to hire him because he couldn't do a lot of the things that he could before. And I remember seeing, uh, you know, there was like probably like 10 people. I, can't, I was little, so everything seemed bigger. Um, and they sat this man down on a chair and they held his uh, both of his feet, and you could tell that one of them was shorter, and there uh, in front of me, uh, just his legs, like as people were praying, <laughs> his legs started growing, and I'm like little, and I saw it, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but his legs literally started getting bigger, and he stood up, and he walked straight, got, like, I literally saw a miracle before my eyes now, uh, you guys can believe it or not, but I know what I saw, and I know, yeah, I mean, I think, that, I think that so many times we put God in a box, and I think the problem is not that God can't do miracles anymore. The problem is not that God can't heal people. The problem is not that God can't restore lives that have been so broken. I think the problem is that we just don't have that little bit of faith that it takes um, Anyways, um, another thing that God saves us from, which I think is the most important thing, is that God saves us from our sin. That is, there is a really dark part in the life of David that I think we all know about. And it's uh, when he um, pretty much fell short before God. Uh, he was by himself, and he saw the opportunity, and he laid with another woman from another man. And then to cover it up, uh, her name was Bathsheba, to cover it up, uh, he commanded, he, he was in the army, so he commanded his officers, put him in the front of the line, uh, because I want to cover this up, basically. Um, 
And so that was in order to get him killed because nobody was going to survive uh, what he was commanding his officers to do. So he kills Uriah. So David, you can tell that whenever, you know, not from personal experience, because I've never killed a man or anything like that, but if, if you kill a man to cover up something, it means that you really want to cover up something. So nothing is going to get it out of you. But listen to what happened. Um, this is in 2 Samuel 12, 7. Uh, it says, this is Nathan, a prophet, coming to rebuke David. And it says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I deliver you out of the hand of Saul. And I give you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house, uh, the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Have you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites? Now therefore, the sword shall, shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, the son, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. So now notice this, like right after Nathan uh, rebuked David, notice exactly what David does, which is the main difference between what Saul did when he got rebuked and what David did. This is what David said in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. What is he doing right there? He's repenting. He's like saying, basically, I made a mistake. <laughs> and this is how God answers, which is, um, you know, which is also even more amazing. It says, and Nathan said to David, which is basically God saying to David, the Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. But, I mean, there's a little catch right here. Nevertheless, because this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. I know that doesn't sound very fun. But notice the response of David. Like, as soon as he got called out by Nathan, uh, he said, I have made a mistake. And as soon as David recognized his mistake, what did the Lord do? He forgave his sins. Has anybody raised your hands if you've ever sinned? <laughs> wow, you are very holy, some of you. <laughs> um, so I, the, re the reason why I did that is because I think that another thing that we do as people is that we think that our sin disqualifies us from ministry, that our sin disqualifies us from doing what God wants us to do with our lives. And if you look around, if, if that was true, then there would be no churches anywhere and nobody would be able to do the work of God. As soon as you repent from your sin, God forgives you. And he does not remember your sin. Um, I think that's something that's really important to notice is that the Christian life is not about what if you fall short of the glory of God. 
Instead, it's about what am I going to do whenever I fall short of the glory of God? Am I going to turn back to God and say, I'm sorry? Or am I going to say, well, it's not worth it. I'm going to keep sinning. I'm going to keep trying to find my own way to do things. That is the main difference between David and Saul. So, you know, David's son uh, still died. Uh, that was probably such a big tragedy um, for David. But I'm going to give you, you know, because I don't want to discourage you and tell you that you're just, you're just going to end up making mistakes again. You're going to commit sins again. Uh, I'm going to give you some practical advice to not sin as much. So the first thing, um, and this is Sunday school stuff, so write it down, um, is to have a relationship with Jesus. And the way that you do that is through scripture and prayer. Because this literally decreases the amount of times that you're going to sin against God. Just watch the difference between uh, David, who was writing psalms all the time, who was praising God. And this was one of the only, you know, big mistakes that we see of David. And then you see the contrast of Saul, who started getting jealous, who was trying to seek his own way. And he, we see sin after sin after sin, where he ended up dead. And this is the reason why reading scripture is going to keep you from sin, is because people fight for the things that they actually love. But you can't love someone unless you know him. And you can't know God if you don't read of him. So you cannot fight to keep a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot fight against temptation if you don't have this relationship with Jesus Christ to begin with. Um, so uh, David writes this uh, verse that is actually really important for us to keep in the word. In Psalm 119, he literally talks about scripture. And he says, how can a young man keep his, own his way pure? And he says, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. So let me know, not wander from your commandments. And then he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What was David's way of not sinning against God constantly? He was keeping his word in his heart, mem literally memorizing scripture. We can't even memorize scripture if we don't just open up our Bibles. Um, the second thing, practical advice, is to have a Nathan in your life. Nathan was the prophet that came and rebuked David. And I can assure you almost anything that if Nathan had not come up and rebuked David, David would have taken his sin to his grave. You know, Saul had that person, but he decided to not listen to him. Who is that Nathan in your life? Find godly men and women around you that, can tell, that you can tell your sin to you. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this in my life. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you constantly check up on me to make sure that my relationship with God is intact? That whenever I do fall, that I get back up. That I can accomplish the will for which God sent me here. So just in conclusion here, um, God wants to use you today. And there are going to be obstacles in front of us. But just remember that our biggest obstacle is not what you think it is but it is our own selves. Um, I want to go back real quick to noticing the, the death of David's son. I know that I said there's consequences for our sin, but somebody had to die because of the sin of David. 
Somebody had to pay because of the sin of David. But for us, that person has already died for the sin that we have committed. And his name is Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? That somebody has already paid for the sin that you have committed? That whenever we knew that God, uh, that somebody needed to die, that our sin, the mistakes that we have done deserve punishment, Jesus Christ took it upon himself, and he comes here and he offers it to you. And you know, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't come here to preach this sermon to give you a pep talk or to, you know, like, you can just go to TED Talk and they'll do that for you. I'm here because what would happen if every single believer in this church would say, I am worthy, God has a plan for me, and these obstacles that are in my life that are keeping me from reaching people for Christ, God is going to deliver me from them. What would happen with the 250 people that come to Highland Park? If God did incredible things and established his church with 12 disciples, what do you think that God can do with 250 people in this room? The difference is that we sometimes don't believe. So look at your obstacles and wonder if God is bigger than them. Father, we know and we recognize that we are sinners. We know and we recognize that we do not deserve your love, that we do not deserve you using us, you having a purpose for our lives. But Father, we know that you are loving God and you have said that you want to use our lives as pity as they might be sometimes. Father, because we know that you take the little things and you make them great. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would empower us to do your work. Father, that Highland Park would be a church that would go out to reach people for you, that we would not be stagnant in our obstacles, Father, but that we would walk through them with the confidence that our God, the God of angel armies, is walking by us, and he's leading us, he's guiding us, and he's fighting for us. Father, forgive us for when we sin, and help us to keep each other in your own hands so that your kingdom may grow. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus until the day that you come back for us. Amen. You may stand.